we had to do what uh Paul Rust and um fuck what's his name? Matt Gur- Matt Gorley do on the what do they do? On the uh in or he's be stressed with Gorley and Rust, they'll talk about a ninety minute movie for three and a half hours. <laughs> so that's the last one. I'll never burp again. All right, so for a ninety minute movie they they do about double the length. So we gotta do like five hours on Lost yeah. Highway. <laughs> like five hours of talking about Lost Highway. Um Okay. So, so welcome to the Untitled Podcast with Brandon and Byron. Hello. That's what it is for now. Um, I'm Brandon. That's Byron. Um, so I think we just wanted to do this. This is very strange. This is very weird. <laughs> uh, I'm in my bedroom. So I've never done anything like this before. Um, Me either. You did it one time before, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess I've been on a podcast before. That's the question. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, aren't we all on podcasts every day? Isn't that just what we call life? Um, not what me. Is ta- what is ta- what is talking if not a podcast? I'm on a work podcast. Yeah, every day I wake up, I start a podcast with my wife, and then I get in the car. Once I get to work, I start podcasting with my coworkers. <laughs> And that's how things roll. And yeah, today's podcast just so happens to be uh, about movies. Yeah. Um, A specific movie, in fact. um, We want to talk about David Lynch's 1997 film Lost Highway. And for anyone who doesn't know Lost Highway, which you probably do. I don't know why I said that. it's the it's a film by David Lynch starring Bill Pullman, Patricia Arquette, Balthazar Getty, and Robert Blake, among some other people. The film follows a musician who begins receiving mysterious VHS tapes of him and his wife in their home, and who is suddenly convicted of murder, after which he inexplicably disappears and is replaced by a young mechanic leading a different life. That's the Wikipedia description. Yeah, and that's pretty much the whole movie. So Yeah. And I think you could just read that and then um you know, not really have to think about much else. Yeah. You don't it have doesn't to think mean about, anything else. Um, you know, what it means to uh take a life, what it means to be surveilled, anything like that. I agree. Um yeah, it's a pretty cool movie. It came out in 1997. Uh, you know, I think that for David Lynch, this was kind of what people were thinking. Okay, uh, for the most part, Firewalk With Me was a failure. <laughs> most people hated it. Uh, people were expecting him to get back into the groove of things. And he kind of does. Um, I believe this is from the same... This isn't written. This isn't based on a novel, but it is from the writer of the novel Wild at Heart. I think I think that's who Barry Gifford is. I think he's the guy who wrote Wild at Heart. David Lynch went ahead and right. made Wild at Heart in 1991, 1992, 1990 and, maybe even. And if I remember um, right, Wild at Heart got initially some 
critical acclaim, some pretty pretty big critical acclaim. But then when it was released to wider audiences, um, a lot like Firewalk with me, everyone kind of hated it. Yeah, yeah. Wild at Heart won the Palm d'Or at Cannes that year. So that's pretty wild uh, at heart and both at Cannes. <laughs> uh, wild in both senses. Uh, and I feel that, I think these movies have a lot more connections other than just sharing a screenwriter and sharing David Lynch. Um, you know, we have angry white guys in cool jackets uh, just trying to express themselves in any way they see fit. And sometimes that means fighting the vocalist of a death metal band like in Wild at Heart or, you know, um, blowing on that saxophone like Bill Pullman does in this. Boy, does he blow on that saxophone. Uh, I watched this movie with my mom in 2013, and not most of it. If you've seen it, it'd be very weird if I watched the whole movie with my mom, but some of the movie with my mother, because she came into the uh, basement while I was watching it back then. And she was like, well, this, so like your uncle would like this, because my uncle's a jazz musician, he plays saxophone. She's like, well, this is just like your Uncle Bill. He's a jazz musician, just like your Uncle Bill. And then they started like him and Patricia Arquette start like fucking, and she's like, "Well, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't very nice." That's not like your Uncle Bill. Oh, I mean, I, he has two kids, so something happened there. But, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Like, just should we? I don't know. I've never done this before on a movie. Do we just start at the beginning here? Is that is that the best thing to do? Or you got more backstory for it? Yeah. Well, so uh, I've got some other backstory. Um, okay, let's hear it. But. Um, I was going to get into more of it later, but so the, uh, watching it for this, as we decided that this was the movie we were going to do, originally we were thinking maybe Firewalk with me, but um, doing Twin Peaks as a whole thing, um, I don't it doesn't really make sense to do Firewalk with me on itself. Um, but I was really surprised at how much this ties in with Twin Peaks. I think it's probably the the most Twin Peaks movie of his that's actually outside of that universe that seems to fit the themes and he uses a lot of the same effects too he uses a lot of the thunder effects um that we see in Twin Peaks um a lot of the flashing lights in the apartments um the doppelganger um idea I mean that's in Mulholland Drive too yeah I would agree with that. There's a lot. Um, I know this is kind of jumping ahead, but like there is a scene probably an hour and a half into the movie where it's just um, Bill Pullman. Well, Bill Pullman, not to get into anything, but okay, we'll, we'll talk about this later. But the character <laughs> Pete, so who Fred becomes, Fred becomes Pete. Uh, we'll talk more in depth on that in a bit. But Pete is sitting in his parents' backyard and then just looks over the fence at a kiddie pool uh just seeing like a toy i think a little toy boat floating in it and yeah that scene is about a minute long and then it just cuts to the very next scene it has nothing to do that that felt very much like something that you would have had in an episode of twin peaks just nonsensical um almost almost funny but you're not sure if it's funny or serious or if it's foreshadowing or what what it's really doing there but it was definitely the one scene in this movie that was like yeah that is that is that 90s Lynch vibe. That's what I'm getting from that. Yeah, uh, there's a few scenes like that as well. Um, specifically, the scene 
um, at Pete's uh, work, the garage, like, where we see um, Arnie, who is played by Richard Pryor. Um, we get a nice little moment with him um, where he's talking on the phone with a customer. He says, he's got nine guys down here. And I'll let you talk to seven of them. And if you get the price you're looking for, I'll let you talk to the other two. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, um, that, that's that very little, funny. That little moment is such a, 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 like a Twin Peaks moment that you would get with like um, Andy or Big Ed or something like that. Just a, a little moment of uh, a humanity in the world. Just a slice um, of life, a little bit of humor, a little bit of fun. Um, and have the late Ray prior doing it. What a, what a spectacular yeah, one of his two minutes on screen. One of his very last appearances, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. I this know. was ninety-seven, so I I don't know I don't know exactly when he passed away, but he couldn't have had too much after this. There's a few people that are you know like Richard Pryor. They pop up. Uh, he, oh, he actually died in two thousand five. So. Oh wow. But yeah, as far as. Okay, so he was in he was in Lost Highway, um, and then he was in two episodes of the Norm Show, uh, which was Norm Macdonald's sitcom, I think. Yeah, I never watched that. And then he was in a documentary. I don't know what this is. He's in like a documentary about comedians, so it could have just been archival footage. Yeah. But yeah, this was like the last movie that he acted in. This is the last movie he like played a character in. Other than everything else, it looks like he played himself. Right, right. it was just an archived clip of him. This was also, um, I think, Robert. Say, oh, uh, go ahead. This was also Robert Blake's last performance. Really, I believe, I believe so. Um, Robert Blake, who plays the um, very ominous uh, mystery man. Um, yep, we're seeing this on his on his IMDb. It's his last it's his last credited role. Man, oh man. Oh, besides his 2010 bankruptcy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> tax um, tax lien. And I don't I don't know too much about Robert Blake. I've I haven't seen anything with him in it really. Um but from what I do know is that very shortly after this movie, he was uh, on trial for killing his wife. Jesus Christ! Um, Did he do the fun trick? And he was like, "Couldn't be me." Yeah, <laughs> uh, it was just very weird. Um, yeah, they, you know, it's uh, it's got a lot of people who just like they pop up. They're there for a second. Another person, final role, Jack Nance. Uh, Is that Jack Nance's final role? Eraser himself. Yeah, Jack Nance. You know. A famous David Lynch collaborator. He's in Eraserhead. He's in Blue Velvet. He's in Wild at Heart. He's in Twin Peaks. He's obviously in Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me, except I think that he had scenes deleted. He might just be in the missing pieces. Um, but yeah, died pretty soon after this film. He might have passed away before this even came out. Actually, it looks like that. He died in 1996, and the film came out in 1997. And I do know the sad thing is that he died after a fight outside of a donut shop. Yeah, right. I think he got stabbed. Something like that. He was married to a porn star, I know. And then he ended up uh, 
just I think he was spiraling out of control. I mean, yeah, his character in in this movie is a little goofy. They usually are, but it's very very. It's odd. It's almost like he's not there, and I don't know, you know, if that reflects what he had going on in his life at that time, or if that's just how he decided to play it. But either way, sad end to a to a great actor. Love him and definitely this stuff. Definitely, and um, I mean, besides Eraserhead, I don't think he had any. He was very much a small roles in David Lynch's movies, uh, right? There wasn't anything that he was leading in besides Eraserhead. Yeah, I don't think he ever had. I don't think he ever had a lead role besides besides in Eraserhead, and it, I know that he. His little part in this in Lost Highway is really kind of interesting because it kind of fits the um fits the mold for all his other characters and these other movies um so in this movie he's talking to pete who's having a really intense reaction to hearing a saxophone solo um over the radio in the uh, mechanic shop um and it sounds like the very same solo that uh fred madison bill pullman's character is playing mm-hmm. in the beginning um i can't say certainly that it's the same solo but it sounds very similar see i Um, just thought pete was like a normal guy now like by turning in turning into pete he's just you know fred hates jazz now just like the rest of us so (laughs) Um, except jack nance he likes that and i was thinking when i was watching that scene that could be a pretty that could be a meme that's that's a hot commodity for me there's a lot of potential there you know you know i don't know what's a hot song right now but like you know you, you you have that scene and the radio's on the guy's like ah ah and he turns it off and Jack Nance comes over and goes I like that I like that <laughs> I don't know it could be anything uh Mo Bamba that's an <laughs> uh, Uptown Funk Uptown Funk let's do it as Uptown Funk that could be the original have any good songs been released since since the quarantine? jazz song and since the jazz song and Lost Highway yes no, no. I don't think so. 1997 to 2020. Nothing good has come out. R.I.P. Music. Um, but anyway, uh, well, well, Jack Nance's little part here, where he's, where he's kind of reacting um, to Pete, and it kind of just the way that David Lynch always uses Jack Nance, where he kind of has this like little knowing demeanor, like he has some form of idea of what's going on, just by the way that he's directed to speak yeah like he's playing his character like he's in on something that no one else on screen is in on right um and i always got that from uh um from jack nance and twin peaks um uh, obviously he wasn't he seemed he always seemed as innocent as he was he seemed to know more than he ever let on um that's kind of what i got from him as a character I'm on Jack Nance's like IMDb right now. He was in Ghoulies. He was in Ghoulies. Jack Nance was in Ghoulies. Apparently, <laughs> Jack uh-huh. Nance was in Ghoulies. He played Wolfgang in Ghoulies. How could we forget? I I, I thought of something kind of well, when you uh you had texted me earlier today, um because the the role of Mister Eddie, um slash uh, Dick Laurent is played uh, played by Robert Loggia. Um, yes. Who is the Peach Lamana. Peach Lamana on The Sopranos. In The Sopranos. And um, I thought it, it was really kind of funny because when we meet 
um, Mr. Eddie in the show, he has a very Sopranos moment um, when he is being tailgated by the guy. Yeah, as you know, he runs him off the road and starts beating the living shit out of the guy. <laughs> it's a very, uh, op- you know, pilot of uh, the Sopranos of Tony and Christopher running that guy down and beating the shit out of him in broad daylight. Right. Yeah, and that scene, like, I noticed something else of that scene. So, his car when they show his dashboard, I don't know. It's probably just either supposed to be nothing or it's supposed to be showing like that Pete is really, really good at working on cars. Uh, that that I think that's a Mercedes. Is it a Mercedes or a BMW he's driving? I think that one's a Mercedes. Okay, so that Mercedes has two hundred thirty-eight thousand seven hundred seventy-one miles on it. Which is fucking insane um, <laughs> for a car like that in in the nineties, unless you had a really good mechanic, which I guess Pete is a good mechanic. That's part of his shtick. Um, it is very bizarre how they get in the car and he's like, "I think I hear something." And then he pulls over and he tightens a few things, and then the car is just fine. Yeah, man, um, the best ears oh. in town makes the car sound. Quote from Mister Eddie here: "It's smooth as shit from a duck's ass." Um, <laughs> But there's, there's all, like, Mr. Eddie, um, oh, my cat just meowed, uh, Neko says hello to everyone. Hi, Neko. <laughs> he says hello again. <laughs> um, Mr. Eddie or Dick Laurent, him being obsessed with, like, people tailgating, being pissed off that people are tailgating, screaming these facts about how 50,000 people have died on the highway because of jackasses like you, um, it just seems like there's always like a, a, a character in, in David Lynch films, whether they're villainous or just very normal, that's just obsessed with something so mundane and bizarre and odd. Um, Twin Peaks is obviously coffee and pie. Uh, this guy's the rules of the road. Right. Uh, in, in Blue Velvet, we have uh, the, the Paps Blue Ribbon scene. Um, just <laughs> one, of the great, about, one of the all-time great wine readings right yeah probably one of the only things yeah exactly like dennis hopper being obsessed with paps blue ribbon for some (laughs) reason like punching kyle mclaughlin in the face and yeah and probably one of like one of the scenes that most people remember from that movie uh if they know anything they know that fuck that shit paps blue ribbon um and just like this i think it can become just as iconic don't ever fucking okay (laughs) <laughs> oh, I think the more iconic line with um with Mr. Eddie is what we talked about earlier when uh he drops Pete's character he drops Pete's character off, the character of Pete off at the mechanic shop and uh he offers him this videotape and You like bonos? Bonos. Give you a boner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he's just like pornos as if he's never even heard of it like we've seen like we've seen him having well we haven't seen him have sex yet but like he obviously knows what girls are and he probably knows what sex is but he's just like pornos pornos maybe he's embarrassed to take it i don't know yeah. um but yeah uh maybe we should backtrack a little bit i'm just looking through i have some notes here yeah um yeah. I don't know what this note means exactly, but I have a note from um, after Bill Pullman is told that Dick Laurent is dead. Um, I like, this is what my note says, I like how Bill Pullman walks. <laughs> you like how he walks? 
I think I, I think it means that I like how Bill Pullman walk, and then I have looks out windows. Very cool. I think it's because he's walking around in his robe, peering out of his very cool, skinny, long windows. I like the way he looks in that scene. He just seems very dope. Um, <laughs> and then there's like footage of him at the club, playing, blowing that sax. And it's almost as if, you know, he says, blow that sax, man. But then Patricia Arquette shows up and she says, I'm going to blow that sax, man. So <laughs> that's the other note <laughs> from the beginning of the movie. Um, well, I mean, given their first sex scene, um, I don't think she w- really wants much to do <laughs> with both yeah, women at all. <laughs> neither do I. And... Um, I don't know. Like, I I guess this whole movie almost, um, I don't know if this is the time to say it, but I, I'll just say th- my theories here, what, what the movie could mean, what it could be. Um, I think that Bill Pullman is, his character has an understanding that Patricia Arquette no longer is interested with him, and she might be having an affair with him. And Fred does like I know that he ends up in jail and he claims he never killed her but I think that he probably does and he's I think he actually could be the killer um and he just is denying it because obviously no one wants to admit that they killed their loved one right but I think I think that it really is a possibility that he is the killer and when he goes in prison he just either is he's losing his mind and trying to retrace and trying to justify it and those are that's when he's switching that's when he becomes Pete or um, or it's just Pete is a complete manic dream in prison. Just him him completely dripping away and losing his mind, you know? Right. And I, I, I agree with you. Um, this movie famously is one of the very few instances where David Lynch will kind of allude to what he was thinking about during the making of it. Um, and this one, I don't know if you know this, but he said that he, he this is what he says anyway, that he based a lot of it around just the OJ trial. Huh. Yeah. Um, so the, you know, killing of the wife, obviously, and then the wife's lover, um, in this case, who would be Mr. Eddie. Um, right. He also uh, apparently said that one day he was in his apartment and he someone buzzed it and and said the words to him dick laurent is dead and that's how we got the idea okay. for the film all right okay, okay. that's just this i don't think it's a little i too mean sure why not and he was probably doing transcendental meditation when it happened and by the <laughs> way if you do meditation you could probably write something like this all you got to do is find an instructor in your area and pay them and get into it um and donate to the David Lynch Transcendental Meditation Foundation. I love the guy, but I read two. <laughs> we're in the, and this will date it, obviously, but who cares? You've already mentioned it, kind of. We're in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic lockdown, I guess. And David Lynch has done, at least from what I've read, at least two interviews. And in both of them, when he's been asked what he's up to, he's just been plugging meditation and saying that everyone should find an instructor, um, which is helpful you know it can help i can see how it relieves stress but i mean i think they're more so trying to figure out what you're working on not (laughs) what you're what you're sitting around doing david well he certainly has no interest in dune um right yeah no that very clear don't talk to him about that one um (laughs) um but uh you know like like what you were saying um 
when you think that uh, Bill Pullman's character, you know, does kill Patricia Arquette's character and he switches um, or transforms into Pete, I guess, um, as a kind of a way to justify, you know, his actions. Um, right. I was watching um, The Pervert's Guide to Ideology last night with uh, Slavo Žižek um, and that guy can talk. Um, <laughs> he was, uh, they were showing that they were showing, um, and basically that movie is just him going through different scenes of movies and, right, and right, talking right. about ideology, ideology, um, just like the Perfect Guide to Cinema, um, which we've watched before. But he gets to the scene in Full Metal Jacket. I don't know if you've seen Full Metal Jacket, um, where a private pile shoots, um, shoots their drill sergeant and then you know, immediately turns the gun on himself and blows his own head off and talks about how, you know, the concept of killing someone else is to essentially kill yourself. Um, Because once you commit that act, you are putting just the essence of limitation on your own life. Um, And I think that that is kind of what we see here um, is Bill Pullman's character just kind of falling into this, you know, back and forth of justifying, you know, the murder of his wife, whether he does do it or not. I don't really think that's the point. Um, and also justifying the murder of Mr. Eddie. Um, but right. when I when I think about that, also, we also have the mystery man uh, played by Robert Blake, who does take the final shots at Mr. Yeah. Eddie which I thought was very interesting when I rewatched the ending just a little bit ago. Um, yeah. Cause like, and that's the other thing, like this mystery man. So, I mean, he's at the party in the beginning. It's the scene when, you know, he does the phone trick. He says, I'm there right now. Bill Pullman's like, how the fuck did you do that? And then later on he, he ends up being, you know, he's with Bill Pullman again, but he's also with Mr. Eddie on the phone. Right. Speaking with Pete. So, it's, you know there's like that's that's the thing with this movie like you can make sense of it you're like yeah yeah of course okay so like like fred turns into pete pete goes and does all this shit he fucks patricia arquette's brains out a bunch for like her doppelganger because she also has a doppelganger of course um she switches he ends up switching back into himself back into fred he kills dick Laurent with the mystery man goes back tells himself so that he can clear it and that way his wife is no longer cheating on him he won't have to get into this mess and he's but that's the thing like so now not only are we looking at like him switching identities but like he's also traveled back in time um right um yeah so i mean so at that point i mean i'm i'm curious uh I, I don't want to make like a, a, too much of a point of trying to make sense of the actual things that happened in the David Lynch movie. Um, right, exactly. People people will get too hung up on that. And then when you get too hung up on that, it just really kind of ruins everything for you. But um, so when he, at the end, when Bill Pullman says to himself that Dick Laurent is dead, I mean, there's no purpose in it, really. I mean, because it... Um, 
because it feels like he would just get stuck into another time loop. Um, right, of course. And yeah, and that's the thing. Like he's freeing himself. They were like, well, he's seeing it as like, okay, I'm freeing myself of this. But the thing is that per that that version of himself that he's talking through that through that intercom has no idea who Dick Laurent is at the moment. Right. So it's almost like there's things in this, and like you said, it's so it's it's pointless to try to make sense of a David Lynch movie because even <laughs> David Lynch himself doesn't make sense of David Lynch movies. Um, he's called this one, I think, a fugue state. But um, there's just something there that like maybe the, maybe this loop has to happen a few more times before things even out, before everything ends up falling into place, and they can actually, you know. Once once the other Fred gets that I gets that notice, he realizes, oh okay, so I don't have to worry about that anymore. But right. where it stands right now, it's just putting things into motion again. Right, and it's a similar trajectory to um, Dale Cooper's character at the end of uh, and Laura Pal- Laura Palmer as well at the end of Twin Peaks: The Return, um, where you have them kind of realizing their failure into their failure or their futility in trying to prevent a murder um, taking place. And it just kind of seems like the, the evil thing will prevail um, and just kind of keep repeating its process. Right. Which is great. Robert Blake um, as the mystery man, though he's, he's rarely on the screen, um, but he's treated. Yeah. So, He's treated so differently than other David Lynch villains. Um, so I mean, like Blue Velvet, for example, um, where we have Dennis Hopper. He's in the movie quite a lot. And he's yeah. very um, pronounced and in your face with his lines and his actions. Um, but with or Twin Peaks, where we have um, Bob, he's very just clearly a supernatural entity that is just that just irks you in the worst ways passing across the town and you know right in laura's father until of course he passes away but even then when when leland dies bob's not really gone right we obviously see after you know we get to see the beauty pageant and we get to see Right, James Hurley have sex with the woman uh, <laughs> trapped in her mansion, and then uh, also Andy fighting for uh, I don't know the second season of Twin Peaks. I don't know. I have to go on, on tangent. The second pe- season of Twin Peaks, a lot of people hate it. I think it's fucking funny. It's, it's hilarious. Funny. It's great. That, that, that shit's funny. Um, but you know, uh, Robert Blake is a mystery man, as opposed to these other villains in the David Lynch world. He's just he's uh, he's terrifying like his look is terrifying um the things that he says is terrifying but his demeanor and his existence in the world in the movie is so different um because immediately when you meet him um and he's introduced in the film they they do this um this kind of sequence uh like when, when they introduce death in the seventh seal by Ingmar Bergman. Um, so in the seventh seal, when the death is introduced, um, all the sound behind him on the beach shore um, just cuts. And then you only have the dialogue between the night and death. 
Um, and then when the mystery man approaches uh, Bill Pullman or Fred, um, all the sound in the party is just cut. And it's just the dialogue back and forth. And the way that Robert Blake just delivers these lines is just so, it's so demanding. And you can see that he's kind of strained in his face. Um, but he also seems very collected. Um, and then once that, once that interaction is ended, he just returns to the party like it's nothing. This is back to normal, talking to other people. You know, leaving. Uh, I always get, I keep getting fucked up. Because, <laughs> um, <laughs> like, on my notes, I have, like, Bill Pullman written, and then I have Fred written, and, P- and so then, like, like Fred, and Fred is just like, who was that guy? <laughs> so, and, uh, you know, the guy, the guy who's throwing the party, who ends up being the drug dealer or the person that they end up uh, robbing at the end. He's just like, oh, yeah, he just, uh, he knows so-and-so. He might even say he knows Dick Laurent. And he says, well, Dick Laurent's dead. And I just sent you, uh, I don't know if you can see the attachment I just sent you. You but, sent me a picture of Pete Buttigieg. Uh-huh. I don't know why. Does the second photo not work? No, it's not. It's not working. <laughs> no way. Damn it. It's not working at all. No. Yeah, so uh I'm just sending you two photos of the same. I'm just sending you two photos of of Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> or two photos of the mystery man from Lost Highway. They look the same. They have the they same have the, haircut. They have they have the exact same haircut. Um Pete Buttigieg similar is, nose. Pete Buttigieg is just the mystery man. Um it's fucked up. I mean, you know, it is pretty mysterious that you drop out as the second leading presidential candidate after the third primary. But hey, who's counting? He's got parties to do. Um, what else was I going to say? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, so there's another thing about this movie. I mean, this is how, you know, this is how all movies are, obviously. There's a lot of people that just like pop up and are gone. And it's it's like not like just like unknowns. It's uh, right. Henry Rollins plays a prison guard, and he's there for a minute or two. Um, Gary Busey's in it. We already talked about Richard Pryor. Gary Busey plays his dad. He's in it for what? Two scenes, three scenes. Yeah, it's for uh, three scenes. Marilyn um, Manson's in it for a very very brief period. For a hot minute, yeah. The uh, has a song in it. Sorry. Oh, it's okay. Um, the prison sequence apparently there was a lot more to that sequence there um that was cut from the film where david lynch apparently played the mortician who you know looked at the body um there was apparently more scenes with henry rollins um that were cut um which really makes me want to see all the deleted footage that was left out of this movie yeah, and you know, because of David Lynch's grudge <laughs> with any company that's not the Criterion Collection, we are likely not going to see that, at least not for the next five to ten years. Or, you know, you could even put that as not in David Lynch's lifetime. Um, <laughs> we won't yeah. see that released. Because he said himself, I think last year, Arrow Video was it that put out 
No, it was uh, Kino Lorber. Kino Lorber. Yeah. Kino Lorber put it out, and David Lynch said it's very, you know, I think he put it as like, it's unfortunate that I was unable to work on this project, but hope maybe one day we can put out a better release of the movie. Um, it, you know, it is also possible that, you know, I don't know, maybe he tried to work with them and that it's possible that a very large company like Kino Lorber just doesn't want to put up with a, you know, begrudging old man begrudging. <laughs> and, all, and all his demands. Um, well, I just mean the fact that he's very picky and specific. Um, but yeah, I have the Kino Lorber Blu-ray and it, it looks fine. It looks probably the same as, um, you know, the old restoration. There's no supplements on it at all. Not even a trailer, no commentary track. Um, so it's hard to get, it's, it's kind of hard to get um, insight onto this movie unless you do some real digging. Um, yeah, because even, I mean, I have the old, I don't even know what it's called, the company that released it in the UK. Um, I think it's honestly just a universal disc. It might say something different on the, on the spine of mm-hmm. it, like indie film or something. Um, but it's really just the universal Blu-ray release from from the UK. And it also doesn't have any supplements that have to do with the actual movie. But it does have uh, something called Dynamic 01 on it, which is a collection from davidlynch.com, a website David Lynch probably still has, but used to frequently upload on in the early 2000s. And it essentially says everything from that Dynamic 01, the best of davidlynch.com DVD, thrown on as a bonus feature for no apparent reason other than the fact that Universal owned the rights to it in the UK, most likely. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I might have to pick that up. <laughs> it's cool. Yeah, it's actually it actually is pretty cool because it does have. I was looking because I've looked through David Lynch's. Um, yeah, obviously his filmography. He's he's only made uh, uh, he's made a handful of films theatrically. But if you go on like an app like Letterbox, where people are able to obviously always be adding things and always removing things, right. um, it shows that he has way more films that he's directed than than the actual. Uh, theatrical releases or cinematic releases that he's done um and there's one that's always stood out to me called lamp which is according to letterbox a 30 minute long video of david lynch making a lamp and i'd watch that sounds cool is that on uh, is that on your disc or no that is on the lost highway universal (laughs) uk blu-ray is the 30 minute video lamp um it also has four different time-lapse videos that are, uh, one is a set of stairs, one is a conference room, one is a sunset, and then the fourth one that I thought would also be a time-lapse is a man wearing an old person mask with his pants down, being arrested by an actor playing a cop on the streets of LA, and the man in the mask is saying, what did I do? Why are you arresting me? What's going on? And it's 32 seconds long. <laughs> and it didn't really seem to fit in thematically with the uh, time lapses, but I mean, they're time lapses with David Lynch's name on them. So take that. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. I just placed an order on Amazon UK for a bunch of Region B re- releases. Um, I should have got that. That sucks. 
Um, it's pretty. I, I think that you can get it pretty cheap. I bought it back in. God, I hate to say it's like probably almost a decade ago at this point, 2013, <laughs> 2012, 2013. Ugh. And yeah, that's uh, I still, I, even though I've watched the film before, I had never looked at the bonus features because it's, it's very, it's listed very small on the back that there's even any features on any special features on it at all. But and then oddly enough, it has, it has a scene selection option. Yeah, I think I, I think you can select by scene on the new disc as well, which isn't typical. For David Lynch, because he usually just wants it to be one. But do you know? Do you know if he w- also did the sound design on this? Obviously, Andrew Delamente did the soundtrack. Um, let's he did the score, and I know that Trent Reznor also collaborated to do additional music because that opening song is that David Bowie song, right? And that's a that's a Trent Reznor remix. So if I had to guess, most of what's happening is um, Dave, it's a mixture of David Lynch, Angela Badalamenti, and then Trent Reznor, and then also obviously Marilyn Manson getting thrown in here and in, into the mix. Right. Uh, all, all of that, just a combination. Um, yeah, this, this movie really does have, like, <laughs> it has such a very dated soundtrack. Um, oh yeah, looking looking back, it's like, oh, this was yeah, this is nineteen ninety seven. Really, it's more like nineteen ninety four, nineteen ninety five. Like yeah. metal, like like industrial, electro, metal, yeah, electro industrial yeah. metal type stuff. Especially with the Romstein stuff, like that's that song being used in the movie three different times, I right. think, or <laughs> yeah. maybe not the same song, but three different Romstein songs being used in the movie. I mean, I don't have a problem with it. <laughs> I, mean, I, don't have, I, don't have a, I don't have a problem with it, but it's just, it's so odd when usually the only thing you have in a film from David Lynch is original score. And then maybe, right. as I said, just some, like a band playing a song. Like I, had a, I had originally asked because it was um, the first, well, the first thing I noticed um, when you start, one of the first thing that I think anybody notices when you start this movie, after you get past the the title cards, is the sound design um because the first 20 minutes are just nearly silent um i had to have my tv up almost all the way just to be able to hear the dialogue Um, wow oh yeah yeah i mean oh yeah yeah you're right outside of outside of the title card with the david bowie song and then the scene of bill pullman playing jazz very loudly um it's silent and every scene inside of his house the videotapes it's silent um as we move on we move more so out of uh i don't know we're moving out of the apartment we're moving more into like daily life for everyone and i don't know if it's supposed to take place in los angeles but very clearly it's filmed there um we start to get the hustle and bustle and the noises of the city and then the noises obviously the mechanic shop things like that but yeah Yeah, up until that point becomes much more equal um you know who else is in this movie uh very briefly as i have this note um is natalie wood's daughter uh natasha wagner um, wow she plays uh she plays sheila which is uh pete slash balthazar getty's uh girlfriend who starts hitting him and crying in his front yard 
Um, and I, I wrote a note down that she just, in that one scene, she does more acting than I think Balthazar Getty does in the entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah, you might be right. Um, that's the one I... Was was? Do you know if he was a big name in the '90s? I really don't know too much about Balthazar Getty, but I just I, I, he bothers me here. Um, and Why? I think I don't know. I I, I really don't know. Um, although I think it's supposed to be intentional. I mean, he's supposed to be off and not himself, so maybe he's doing a good job of it that way. Um, right. I mean, okay, so if I look at his, like, so he was in Lord of the Flies in 1990. Like, he was, like, one of the main, like, kids on the island, I guess. <laughs> I haven't yeah. seen Lord of the Flies, if I'm being honest. I haven't seen, I haven't even read it. Um, he, he was in that. And then the only other, like, big movies that it looks like he was in before this was he was in Natural Born Killers. He played a gas station attendant. and I believe he gets killed after or before he goes down on somebody oh he gets killed in that movie? Killers? i believe so yeah oh, there's violence in that movie um just a little bit um and then he was in judge judge dread and mr holland's opus maybe david lynch saw him in mr holland's opus it was like i really want that kid <laughs> <Maybe> <laughs> uh, judge dread maybe i'm trying to think like he looks so much like another actor to me that I've always thought it was someone else for some reason. Um, he looks like a, you know, he looks you know, like Charlie Sheen. Yes, that's what I was really fucked up. That's what I was gonna say. It's like it's kind of fucked. He looks like Charlie Sheen and like also kind of uh, Corey Leave Schreiber. Yes, Leave Schreiber and like the two Corys, like um, Corey, Corey Feldman and Corey Feldman. Yes, he, like, he looks like get, a lot of people. <laughs> I get, I get that kind of vibe from him. He's like Lil B. He looks like a lot of different people. Um, <laughs> another person who's in this movie for such a brief period of time that I, I had to pause it, rewind it, look again because I knew he was in it, but I couldn't pinpoint exactly where he was. Uh, Giovanni Ribisi, who yeah. is in uh, Saving Private Ryan, and then he's on, he's on that TV show Sneaky Pete. Yes. He is in the film. He is one of the cool teens, one of the clowns that he <laughs> goes out with. And then we go, oh, these clowns for a little bit. He's one of the, and then Gary Busey goes like, it could be good for you. He's one of, the, he's one and, of those clowns. And that's it. Uh, he also, Balasar Getty also kind of looks like um, just a weaker version of Phil Anselmo from Pantera. Yes. Okay. So that... <laughs> I think that that is like actually who I think of when I watch the movie. It's like that's the vocalist of Pantera. Um, that one makes sense. Yeah. Um, so there were a couple things I wanted to to bring up about this movie. When I was in um, uh, my senior seminar class with uh, with Jay McCroy, and we were doing um, experimental film. Um, that was the subject. We were talking about, um, Jay brought up this idea of, and I don't know, if, I'm sure there's a word for it that I just don't, can't think of or couldn't find, um, about when you, the, the way that bodily fluids are, you know, kind of omnipresent in a human body, we only ever are repulsed by them as they're taken out of the body. 
Like we see vomit or spit or whatever, and we recoil and we have like a visceral reaction to this thing um, that is very natural with our bodies. Um, but what I, what I see in this film and I just so happened to have been watching some other films that kind of dealt with the same thing um, is the way that the recording of your life um, really kind of becomes a source for like discomfort and like a haunting thing for the characters in this movie um, for uh, Patricia Arquette and Bill Pullman's characters. Um, Yeah. So I I was also watching uh, the conversation with Francis Ford Coppola uh, directed by Francis Ford Coppola with Francis Ford Coppola (laughs) starring uh, Gene Hackman um, where he um, plays a leading figure in the surveillance industry Um, and uh, you know just his recordings of other people um, just kind of start to take over his life and are just a kind of a big source of fear and stress Um, and I and I tie it to the the idea of your bodily functions is because it's like it's some something with the processing your own life outside of your you know outside of yourself yeah is just like is bothersome um yeah, i mean obviously obviously people life, can yeah. yeah i mean obviously people can be recorded and that'd be fine i mean that's how movies exist but right um, and podcasts but like think about how <laughs> Think about how many people are like, oh, I don't like hearing my own voice or, oh my, or like, I don't like, like, I don't like uh, looking in the mirror. I don't like looking at photos of myself. Like, right. it's a, it's a, and I, like you said, like, I think Bill, Bill Pullman's character actually says it when the detectives are there and they're like, you don't own a tape recorder. She's like, no, we don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fred doesn't like that. And he says like, it's unnatural. Yeah. He says, that's uh, what this on. whole movie is. It's <laughs> unnatural, man. Uh-huh. I wrote down what he said. He says, um, he says he likes to remember things how he remembers them, not how yep. they happened. That's another thing that I think that you can, yeah, point um, towards for the for this movie. This is how he remembers things, not yeah. exactly how they happened. Right. Um, another film uh, where you kind of have a, a similar idea. Um, I don't know if you've seen it because I know you and I have both been getting more into uh, Nicholas Winding Refn. Uh, recently um have you seen fear x no i've listened to fear factory and um <laughs> and uh that's the only joke i can call I sorry well just in, in fear x john taturo uh plays a guy whose whose wife was murdered um you know another similar um comparison to this movie um and he discovers you know tapes of the footage and he just kind of goes on this you know, obsessive um, search um, to, you know, to kind of validate the footage and, and just kind of see everything that goes on. Um, but yeah, it was, it was weird because I, I watched the conversation directly um, after uh, Lost Highway and there's a lot of similarities. So there's, I mean, there's the recording, um, the way a lot of shots are similar to um uh, there's, you know, death of the female character, um, and even the way that um, they're that they're shown to kind of like defend themselves is exactly the same. Um, 
it's both the main play both both the main characters uh are saxophone players as well and you should see that movie as soon as you can um <laughs> and i talked about this with um this guy named marcus pin who runs pinland empire as a website and he does a lot of the he's he like popularized the side-by-side film images that you'll see on twitter um if you don't follow him he's a really good follow Oh, I follow him. I was just looking while you're talking about it, that. You know, Nicholas Winding Refn. He hasn't made a movie in a few years. I mean, he has a he has an Amazon series, right? Which I which I but, have heard a lot of things about, um, but I haven't watched it yet. But man, only God forgive that movie. Only God forgives. This is real brief. That movie ruled. Everyone hated it. That movie's that movie's dope. Yeah, just <laughs> yeah. stupid analysis of that movie, but like. <laughs> that movie is cool like it's like it's great it's great i love it so much i watched it drive without car and uh with more mommy issues and (laughs) less dialogue from ryan gosling and more swords um i watched it uh i watched it in the atlanta airport whoa what a place to watch a movie (laughs) what a place to watch only god forgives what a place to watch a movie that that looks like only god forgives like were you watching on a on a phone too I was watching it on my laptop. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, there's an interview. Uh, Nicholas Winding Refn is interviewing uh, uh, William Friedkin, and he calls, uh, <laughs> he tells William Friedkin that Only God Forgives is a masterpiece. And <laughs> William Friedkin just gives him so much shit. He's like, What are you out of your fucking mind? <laughs> It's freaking cool. That's typical Friedkin, though. Um, have you seen everything Lynch has done? Uh, no, I haven't seen a straight story. Is that it's the only Disney thing that you have? Film. Is that the only blind spot you have? I mean, there's a ton of mini things that he's done. Oh, I haven't seen. Um, I haven't sat down and watched all three hours of Inland Empire. I have not watched Inland Empire all at once. I've seen bits and pieces, but. I've not sat down and finished it. I probably should because, you know, it could be his last film ever. But, well, I mean, I mean, we have the re- Twin Peaks The Return, which, like, you know, Masterpiece, yeah. It's a, ma- it, it is, it's cool. I think, uh, I haven't, I haven't seen, I, I still have a lot of blind spots with Lynch. I mean, like, I just recently saw Lost Highway. I haven't seen The Elephant Man. I haven't seen Inland Empire. I haven't seen The Straight Story. Um, I mean, the return is just, I mean, number one, it completely doubled the length of his entire filmography. Um, you know, just a, an additional 18 hours um, released in, you know, in one year. Um, and I think that it just, it's just. Jim, it's, Jim it's, Belushi. It's, I mean, what else can you say? I've been <laughs> Jim Belushi. He's great in it. I love Jim Belushi. He really in the return. In He's fantastic. Um, That's something Lynch is good at doing is taking an actor that you have no faith in, you have no belief in, and just letting them crush it. Um, or just even just letting them do it, you know? I mean, fucking Billy Ray Cyrus is in Mulholland Drive. <laughs> he's not, he doesn't do anything too crazy in it, but, I mean, he's fucking in it. Like, that by itself, like, who thought, like, 
what was that what was that casting choice i guess that's well it's it's crazy to think that mulholland drive was supposed to be um you know developed into a television series yeah and we would have had a david lynch television series with billy ray cyrus as a fairly large character possibly (laughs) and just another yeah another another lynch television series to be uh ignored <laughs> um, i mean tripping was huge when it came out but just yeah, another yeah. one to there's, an, there's another thing um and, you know maybe, maybe i don't know too much about it but maybe he brings it up on himself is that i mean he seems to be one of the um most respected filmmakers um alive right now um and he has so many scripts that you just kind of hear about that never got made that are so fantastic. And I just, I, I wonder what keeps him from developing them. I think it all stems back to the fact that he really, really likes, cause you know, he was originally what he was originally an artist. Wasn't he a painter? He was an originally painter and sculpture and photography. Yeah, he, and he painted for a long time until he made Eraserhead at age like 30, 35. Yeah, I think that I think what it is is he's doing what he loves, which is painting and uh, creating, and even music. He he loves making music too. So I think with all the time he's put into making films and all the money he's he's made or hasn't made making films, he wants to do exactly what he wants to do, and him having fans that would love to have another movie or would love to have another TV series or just love to have him collaborate on something. I think he really just does exactly what he wants to do. And I think that's why you end up with him as a character on the Cleveland show (laughs) (laughs) and him in uh, this, the sex pest Louis CK's TV show, Louis, like. Was he in Louis? He was in Louis. He was. Oh yeah, uh, that's right. He's in like three or four episodes of Louis. Um, That's right. He was the guy who was trying to get in the uh, the late night show. The late night show. Yeah. He's good at making movies. This is a good one. Um, as we said, similarities to Wild at Heart. Also, a lot of similarities to Mulholland Drive. Also, a lot of similarities <laughs> to Twin Peaks. I think that he's pretty much like even you know even similarities to Blue Velvet. There's those things that David Lynch does right, and he knows. He knows he does them right. He likes them. He likes the ideas, so he keeps returning to them. Yeah, um, and that's something that you don't. Uh, I mean, you'll see uh, filmmakers, uh, you know, return to different themes throughout their body of work. Um, but I haven't noticed anyone doing it so obviously, doing it so obviously, but also doing it so effectively than David Lynch. Just kind of revisiting the themes and revisiting the tricks. Um, and kind of manifesting the fears that you see in his work in the same ways. Um, but he does it all so, so well. And I think that that's what makes him, you know, the revered kind of filmmaker that, that he is. Um, is that he's able to give you something so different than his previous work, but also um, just expand on what he's already exploring. <laughs> I'm just looking at my notes. I have some funny yeah, things here. Okay. Okay, Here's, just write um, them off. Okay, so I got a lot of funny jokes here. 
<laughs> That's funny jokes. I sound like a dipshit. I don't sound like an asshole. Um, okay. So when when the, the mystery man is like, here, take my phone, and he calls, and he, he's talking to him at his house, um, it'd be a lot funnier if that was the Budweiser, what's up, guys? Like, <laughs> um, I said this to you last night in a text. The highway is us sleeping and our car is our bed and our destination is our dreams. Um, <laughs> that's like a sign that like uh, uh, someone's mother would have like in their bathroom. I don't know. I think it's an um, apt description. Actually, you know, the Pantera thing is really funny. This note is Pete looks like the vocalist of a new metal band. Yeah, uh, he looks he looks like Phil Anselmo, just a lot weaker. So like when Fred switches over to Pete, it's it, it's it's not them it's not the same sort of switch, but like the detectives also switch. It becomes two different detectives. It becomes guys Lou and Hank, like two completely different detectives are now trapped now on the case rather than the two detectives before from the original uh, phone call that Fred would have put in. I didn't tape. notice. I, yeah. well, I noticed that. I, I I mean I realized that it was different actors, mm-hmm. uh, or just, I just assumed it was different detectives. Um, yeah but, yeah it's different oh yeah it's different it's different detectives like it's different people obviously but i just think it's funny how it like they switch and then all of a sudden we have two different cops to follow too right um it just seemed fun do we do you think that that fred and pete are the same person is that why is that why Pete seems so off to everybody in his life? I mean, yeah. <laughs> Short answer, yes. I think they are the same person. I think that's why there's that scene where, like, Gary Busey sits him down and is like, hey, look, the other night you were, like, with a person we've never seen before. Right. It's, it's like they have concern from for him but they're not um, uh, super connected with, with them at the same time. Right. Um, you know, who knows? Um, well, I don't really know. I don't, I don't have too much else um, to say at the moment. Um, what about you? Yeah. My, uh, my what's up joke. That was one. That's all I really, really wanted to make sure I got in there was if he, if he picked up that phone, he said hello. And it was just like, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> that'd be fucking fun. <laughs> so fucking stupid, I think, but I think that you should, funny. I think you should make the video yourself and put it online. That's another and one. That and I'm sure you'll get, I'm sure you'll get, uh, I'm sure you'll go viral. That's another thing that I think you can make a meme. You could do the phone call could be uh, like how um, the Evangelion voicemail meme <laughs> is like has become like Xbox recordings and stuff like that. That might be the perfect uh, perfect meme format. Is that Evangelion voicemail? Voicemail. Well, that has been our discussion on Lost Highway. Uh, Thanks for listening. Yeah, and I give it four out of five speed traps on that highway. I give it I give it uh four and a half raging saxophone solos. Damn. 
Thanks for listening. Thank you. Bye.